All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is New Tech City. And whether you're a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, or a big brother or sister, you've got to wonder. With smartphones, apps, tablets, screens and elevators, cameras everywhere, how are today's kids going to be different than you and me? It's mostly after school when you're like with your friends and they say, oh my gosh, look at, you know, what this person posts. You know, you kind of are obliged, said the word. Yep, that's the word. Kids, parents, we're all just trying to figure it out. We're really at the forefront of what it's all going to be in the future. And, and I'm a novice with technology. I'm happy to admit that. And I feel like my kids are going to surpass my abilities. It's okay that they surpass them. I just want to make sure that they do it in a safe way. What are all these hours spent in front of screens doing to their brains? I have a wish that it can somehow be a part of their lives without encroaching on their tiny little imaginative brains. How will never knowing a world without a smartphone change the very definition of friendship? My greatest fear, which I don't think is going to happen, is that they would become shut-ins and uh, not learn how to relate to people and have eye contact with people, and somehow technology would deprive them of human relationships. You've been hearing some of the parents that we got together to talk about their worries about raising smart and confident kids in the digital age. And all they want, all any of us want, is for our kids to find balance. Not too much, not too little exposure to tech, right? I wish for her, I guess, to have a healthy relationship with technology which means probably a healthy distance from it at times and at other times uh, an understanding of how to use it to get what you need out of it. And so this week you're going to hear from four experts, each with a story and a different idea of how to help kids find that balance with tech. Now, you might agree with them. You might think they're off their rocker. But the goal this week is to get you to consider where you stand when it comes to kids and tech. Now, you're also going to hear from some kids themselves. And for some reason, they don't seem as confused as the grown-ups. I was checking the phone. I'm like, am I really caring about, like, what Lauren is doing right now? And she's like, oh, what's up? Not much is chilling. Like, is that really a text that needs to be responded to right away? I had two summers without technology and one with. And I realized how much those two summers were just a little bit better because of the memories I made when I weren't, wasn't on my cell phone. Those are campers that go to a place called Camp Longacre in rural Pennsylvania. And our first story comes from the camp's director, Matt Smith. 
for all of us, the influence of technology is increasing in our lives, and the size of the devices is decreasing. I mean, for us, the next thing coming down the pike is the contact lenses. Johnny comes to, to, to camp with prescription contact lenses that are networked. Uh, that logistically is a sticky situation. I met Matt last summer when I went to observe a radical experiment that he was conducting. Campers could bring their phones, their tablets, whatever, with them to camp. But here's where the kind of kooky experimental part comes in. And he gets pretty emotional telling this story. Last summer, how did it go? Well, we we took the devices for the first week and then gave them back on uh, what was a Sunday. That Sunday was definitely scary. I'm a second-generation director. My, my folks started this business uh, 40 years ago. You know, my life was kind of flashing before my eyes. I mean, what have you done here with the, with the family business? Um, but it, that didn't last long, fortunately. Within 24 hours, I knew we were going to be on the right track. We have these evening meetings. Technology was a topic of discussion that night. And uh, for every child who said, you know, I'm really happy to have my device back because I get to... Uh, talk with my folks and I get to talk with my friends at home. There was another child who was saying, you know, I'm really scared. And they were saying we did something special this first week. It was really nice. You know, we bonded. We're out here together. And uh, today was crazy. Nobody was talking to each other. Everybody had their heads down. Some of those were returning kids and some of those were new kids. But they, they recognized that no, I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying, you know, every other one or something was recognizing that they, they, this was also a threat to them and to the thing that they were here to build. So at that time, I knew we were going to be okay. And it did diminish in importance. By the end of the summer, it was uh, just another thing to deal with. It was like language or speaking respectfully to a friend. We had four components to our program. One was role modeling. The staff and the older kids were on board. The second one uh, was we had books available for them to educate themselves. They didn't really read the books. Uh, The third one was uh, discussions. We enabled both theoretical discussions and peer-to-peer feedback. So you could say, uh, Johnny, I was frustrated today or I felt hurt when we were in a conversation and you pulled out your phone to read your text message. That feedback was very valuable. And, of course, coaching. There were times when they're not allowed to have their devices and we would ask them to put it away. So uh, at the end, we followed up in January with our families, and we had a Google Hangout with our kids. I don't want to misrepresent. I mean, this was not like a revolutionary, sort of super impactful thing where they're all model citizens with their, with their devices. That certainly is not the case. What they did report, and what was really a relief to us, I think, was greater self-awareness about their own usage with devices, and also an awareness of their friends' usage of devices, and, and more sort of critical about what the generational norms were around using technology. Getting teenagers to teach themselves how to cope with technology, not by sheltering them, but by immersing them. We made a video with these teens, and they go from milking goats to texting friends from their bunks. There's a link at newtechcity.org on this week's show page. Next up, you'll hear stories from a ventriloquist turned child advocate. You know, I learned how to talk without moving my lips. And and two teachers who have diametrically opposed views on how much tech to have in the classroom or at home. We are asking parents to keep media and technology, to keep it away from the child's day-to-day experience as much as possible. We are able to build a castle out of blocks that's 20 times bigger than we are. You probably couldn't do that playing with actual blocks. New Tech City is supported by 
Hover, helping you get the best domain names to represent you or your business. If you want to get your ideas on the internet, Hover will help you find the right domain name and include all the tools and support you need to manage it. For 10% off your first purchase, go to hover.com and type in the promo code TECHBOOST. Okay, so helping kids find balance with technology. There are massive forces mounting to make this even tougher than we thought. That's according to Dr. Susan Lin, who has sort of an unusual career trajectory. I began life as a ventriloquist and earned earn my living that way. Yeah, you were like the so I, you know, I learned how to talk without moving my lips. And I, you know, and I worked... I, I worked in media. I mean, I, I worked with Fred Rogers, and I became a psychologist. Now Susan is kind of a hotshot in the world of taking on big corporations and their marketers and advertisers. She's the founder of Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood. We're the organization that forced the Walt Disney Company to give refunds on baby Einstein videos. They were claiming they were educational for babies. They had no evidence, and in fact, they're not educational for babies. And most recently, we took on Fisher-Price for their um, iPad bouncy seat for newborns. We exist because we believe that advertising and marketing is an issue of rights and freedoms. It's the rights of children to grow up and the freedom for parents to raise them without being undermined by commercial interests, without being undermined by greed, screen devices are the primary way that children are targeted. And one of the things we have to remember is that the business model for most of what's up on a screen and what kids encounter on a screen is advertising and marketing. It's either collecting personal information to sell to other companies, collecting personal information to sell to advertisers so that the ads can be explicitly targeted, or it's, you know, embedded product placement in video games. I mean, it's just kind of endless. When people say to you, especially people my age, say to younger parents, you know, our kids watch television, they're fine. Our kids play video game, they're fine. No parents in history have ever had to cope with the unprecedented convergence of a ubiquitous, sophisticated, alluring, habit-forming screen technology and unfettered, unregulated advertisement. And that combination is really, I think, what the major problem is. There's a lot of money being spent trying to convince you and your children that a screen is no different than a book, and that more time is better than less time. Earlier this year, Susan and her campaign for a commercial-free childhood won a settlement against Facebook for using kids' pictures in their ads. They turned down the money and plan on pursuing further action against the company. And also, on a personal note, I asked Susan if she thought I was ruining my daughter by letting her watch Dora the Explorer. And she said it was okay to watch some Dora, but that I shouldn't bother with any apps. Instead, I should take my daughter outside for more exploring adventures. Hola, soy Dora. Setting limits can be a pain. Constant conflict at home. It's tough. Kids love their games. Here's eight-year-old Natalie Keith explaining why she loves one game in particular. There are animals, and and you can use resources that the animals have for lots of different things. 
My favorite animal is the mushroom. Natalie is professing her love for Minecraft, a video game that has kids so into it that Natalie and her dad actually built a computer just for that one game. We learned how in a show a few months back. Minecraft is, of course, the highly addictive, yet most agree, educational game that's kind of like Lego on digital steroids. It's sort of surprising to look at. It it's kind of has retro graphics. It, it, it's a world that's made out of blocks. There, there really isn't a goal. There's no winning in Minecraft. You, you create what you want. Um, or you connect with your friends and you go on adventures together. And some educators, like Joel Levin, think one of the good things technology is doing for kids is bringing them games like Minecraft, which can offer big breakthroughs in learning. In most games, even the ones where you're blowing up aliens, there's there's a never-ending series of uh, decision-making and, and evaluation that needs to go on. There's, there's a certain type of thought process that is activated when you're playing a, a good video game. Joel is actually the founder of Minecraft EDU, a company that adapts the game for classrooms. I was of the Atari 2600 generation. I grew up playing games. Uh, and, you know, I think the, the type of experiences that I've had playing games really shaped who I was. They got me interested in technology. I learned how to program computers so I could make my own games. I was always taking apart computers and, and, and stuff, much to my parents' dismay sometimes. So, you know, when I started working with children in school, it was very natural for me to try to bring games into the classroom. He designed a teaching unit specifically around Minecraft for his second grade class. And, you know, I was planning to spend about two weeks playing Minecraft. We were going to be doing internet research, looking up different strategies for the game. We were going to talk about sharing in a digital community. And there was this uh, explosion in my classroom like I'd never seen before of joy to be in school, number one, not for nothing. They were really engaged with material, and, and the kids were so open to have these sort of higher-end discussions that I, that I was hoping to get at. I mean, these seven- and eight-year-olds were overcoming personal differences in the game. I would give them challenges, but give them limited resources, and they would have to work out ways to accomplish their goals creatively. And Joel says that joy for learning can be replicated at home. It's up to you, parents. Use the games to your advantage, he says. You sort of find out what game your kid likes, Minecraft or otherwise, why they like it, and then look for a way to extend the experience into something that your own family's personal value system finds worthwhile. Joel says Minecraft EDU is being used in around 2,000 schools worldwide. So far, you've heard from three people who are okay with technology in moderation. But what if what's best for kids is no technology at all, at least for those first formative years? I will never forget reading that New York Times article a few years back. It outed executives from Google, Microsoft, and Intel for sending their kids to Waldorf schools, Schools that shun anything with a screen. What do they know that we don't? Waldorf schools actually see society's emphasis on electronics and screen time as quite detrimental. Wendy Kelly teaches at the Rudolf Steiner School in New York City, America's first Waldorf school. And tech is a no-no in their classrooms. The Rudolf Steiner School and other Waldorf schools strongly subscribe to a no-tech approach to education in the early childhood through the lower grades. And we have other priorities that we're working on in the children. Now, this is not to say that we are anti-tech or anti-media. 
We do incorporate technology into our educational program, but in a very conscious and deliberate manner, and when we see it as developmentally appropriate for the children. Access to computers in our school begins in the very smallest of ways in fourth grade when the children learn to use the electronic card catalog in the library, so in a very small way. Then it expands a bit in fifth grade when the children are permitted to use not just text-based sources in their research, but a little bit of internet with the close guidance of their teachers, their parents. Uh, This broadens gradually in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade as keyboarding, word processing instruction comes into play, discussions about internet safety. All the while, the focus on the education is human to human. By the time our students encounter the software that we're using in schools and the various programs, they already have quite a foundation in imaginative thinking and their ability to create out of themselves what they want. And so technology is a tool that they can use to accentuate their work, but it doesn't replace They're already highly developed imaginative capacities. Whether you agree with Wendy Kelly of the Rudolf Steiner School or you think it's kind of extreme, hopefully all four of our experts gave you lots to think about. And before we go, we want to just hear from one other class of experts, the kids, on what they think is the right amount of technology in their lives. I personally use my phone and, like, watch TV and use my computer probably about two or three hours total. But I don't know. I think that's probably too much for other people. Well, I feel like if it's for school or for some work that you have to do, it should be for, like, whatever time you need it. But if it's just for fun and games and stuff, it should be only, like, an hour a day or a little less. Like, technology doesn't really always give you, like, happiness. Like, you'd rather, I'd rather be with people than, like, text them. On a tablet, I just, I play games. Sometimes you have schoolwork and then you lie and then, and then so you think, you say that you get it done, but you really don't have it done. And then, so then you just go play on your tablet for forever and then you forget about your schoolwork. It's good that we don't spend our entire life playing video games, but... Maybe we set like a rule on, hey, these are two days when you can play as much as you want, and the rest of these days you can play this set number of hours. I would have younger kids have less time on screens and older kids have like unlimited amount of time. <laughs> so despite them sounding so sure of themselves, we grown-ups know that this is tough stuff and we're just figuring it all out as we go along. So let's continue the conversation. One way we're doing that is pictures. We're sharing photos of how our kids interpret technology on our website. Some of it is pretty inspiring, actually. You will see Minecraft come to life with Play-Doh, my son's crafty version of a laptop like you've never seen before. Please post one of yours and tell us what issues you're thinking about at newtechcity.org. And thanks to friends of the show who recorded their kids for that montage, especially guitar teacher Dan Emery and his students, as well as our colleagues at WNYC. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Manoush Samarodi. What do you feel like when mommy says, okay, that's enough? Sad. Why are you sad? 
says she said no back videos and she says no back movies. And then what do you do after that? I just eat dinner. You just eat dinner? Yeah. And then go on with your life? Have dessert and then tonight.